Hey, I'm Ben Silverio. I'm Aaron Klein. And I'm Ansel Birch, your host in post. And it's time to party. party. We are not doctors and we don't give medical advice. Please drink responsibly. This episode was recorded October 11th of 2020. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this second edition, the second episode of Time Bandits with Time to Party with me, Aaron Klein. And I'm Ben Silverio. Hey. We're back. I hope, I mean, I hope that you know that already, that we're the hosts. But maybe you just dropped onto yeah. this episode, and we welcome you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for coming to the party. Thanks for... Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> that was an obnoxious laugh, but that was actually a very funny pun. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for those of you that don't know, hopefully you do, because you watched the movie after the first part of this section. But, uh, so, Time Bandits... Here's the synopsis from Rotten Tomatoes. Young history buff Kevin can scarcely believe it when six dwarves emerge from his closet one night. Former employees of the Supreme Being, they've purloined a map charting all the holes in the fabric of time and are using it to steal treasures from different historical eras. Taking Kevin with them, they variously drop in on Napoleon, Robin Hood, King King Agamemnon. That's hard to say. Before the Supreme Being catches up with them. Cool. Yeah, hopefully you got all that. Yes. <laughs> I feel like it's a pretty easy to follow plot, actually. <laughs> so, I mean, let's let's start with the plot. Like, it you just jump right in, you know, with a surprise horse. Yeah, you, again, surprise horse. They, they show up early and they come often. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, because I had never seen this movie and I didn't, I literally knew nothing about it except that Terry Gilliam directed it. That was it. And so I was, I kind of expected that it was gonna be not a child in the lead i don't know why i just like mm-hmm. i didn't assume a cult film would have a child in the lead or would have gotten so popular but like i kind of briefly touched on in the drinking and smoking game episode i like that terry gilliam made this choice to have the leads be a child and a clan of dwarves like i, I thought that was a very unexpected and interesting choice and it also seems like appropriate to monty python that he's like i'm gonna choose these kind of different subjects to be the central focus of this story like i really liked that i thought it was really cool yeah um i i first saw this movie in college when i was taking a sci-fi film class and uh i was on the fence about it you know like i thought it was weird a little bit uh i mean it is weird but (laughs) Um, yeah, it's super I don't know. weird. I did, yeah, it's super weird. Uh, I did end up liking it a lot more, I think, the second time around. Um, but I found it interesting when I was doing my research that this is the first in a trilogy that Gilliam did, known as the Trilogy of Imagination. It was followed by Brazil. Wait, Brazil comes after ta- Time Bandits? Yeah. And then after that, it's the <laughs> adventures of Baron Munchausen. Wow. Yes. So all three films, they focus on these struggles and attempts to escape uh, through imagination. So Time Bandits oh. is through a child. Brazil is through a man in his 30s. And Munchausen is through an older man. Interesting. So I think it's interesting to look at those three like as a whole. Yeah, I agree. I did not know that. Again, I knew like nothing about this movie other than Terry Gilliam directed it. And I feel like that t- seems totally on brand with Terry Gilliam. He's like a big mm-hmm. fourth dimensional thinker too. So I, I like that. I've never seen Brazil all the way through. I've only seen bits and pieces of it. So that's something I think I need to add to my like personal watch list coming up. Likewise. Dope. Yeah. Um, and uh, another 
star from Time Bandits, uh, Kenny Baker, who is better known as R2-D2 in Star Wars. Like, I didn't realize that um, oh my God. that he plays Fidget. I didn't even make that connection, <laughs> like, at all. Yep. Fidget. Same dude. Fidget who gets crushed dead at the end. But oh back, my god okay. i really thought they were gonna leave him dead and was like this seems very uh off tone for the rest of the movie real dark yeah it did seem very dark and they were and then god shows up and is like lol i'm god i can do whatever the fuck i want supreme yeah. being whatever but like evil proved to be like the most evil when he so so if he killed benson when he, he was a person it wouldn't have been as bad but he killed benson when he was a dog which makes it ultimately worse yeah right it's like adding on this additional layer of like wow you are evil and awful aren't you <laughs> like oh, okay yeah. how can we make this man even more evil have him kill a dog like oh okay yeah that makes sense this tracks yeah. with evil ultimate evil <laughs> absolutely 100 uh, percent. absolutely yep <laughs> and, and the the wrestling fan in me was thinking while watching this movie what if they remade it uh with evil from new japan from Los Ingobernables. But he's lovable. Like, <laughs> yeah. I know his name is Evil, and I know that he's a bad guy, but actually he's quite lovable. And so, I don't know. I don't want to love Evil in this movie, maybe. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> the look because New I Japan's Evil... Yeah, New Japan's Evil would not kill a dog. No, absolutely not. Would kill a person yeah. for killing a dog. Even, I might suggest. Mm-hmm. So, <sighs> the look. I, I will accept that the look would be good, but... Unfortunately, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but speaking of remakes, uh, they are actually talking about doing a TV show for Time Bandits. Really? I think on Apple TV. Interesting. Um, I mean, yeah, I remember them talking about it like years ago, but then last year there was a development on it, and I think this is gonna make it work. Okay, because back in 2018, I was like, I don't know if I want a Time Bandits series, but now that I, now I do. <laughs> Because Taika Waititi is co-writing and directing it. Fucking what? Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm in. That seems like a natural progression from Gilliam, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> like, 100%. He has that same, like, uh, wacky is, like, the first word that I'm thinking of, although I don't know if it's necessarily the right word to use, but they're, like, Terry Gilliam is an auteur, and so is yep. Taika Waititi, and so I feel like those two make sense to have as, like, a first and second with Time Bandits. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. Taika Waititi will under- does understand, understands, like, the irreverence of the Monty Python style, and understands, too, like, what makes people connect to cult classics and how to, like, really get inside of those feelings, too. So, I agree. I'm in. I will watch a show that... Yep. Also, I'll watch a show that Taika Waititi directs. Like, I'm interested in seeing him in that medium like i fucking loved jojo rabbit it's so goddamn good so good i highly recommend it he's fucking brilliant in it and as a director and like watching him be able to expand that to like a multi like a multi-episode show is such an interesting idea and i'm so interested to see what he does with that wow you just sold me on this show i was like oh no i don't need this (laughs) and now i'm like hell yeah put this in my veins yeah, and I mean, what we do in the shadows is really good, uh, but I don't think he does, like, the day-to-day on it. I don't think so either. Uh, I think just overall, creatively, he's involved, but uh, it sounds like he's going to be more involved in Time Bandits, so I'm ready for more Taika. Yes, I agree. <laughs> that man is delightful. <laughs> we could all yeah. use more of him in our lives. 100%. 
Yeast. Oh god, I wish his Funko Pop wasn't so rare because it's adorable. <laughs> He'd make such a cute Funko Pop. <laughs> he is a very Aww. cute Funko Pop. That's adorable. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah. I was just going to say, one of the things that I also really liked about this movie, though I thought it was very strange, was the set design. Like, there were a couple of times where I was like, are you just straight up recording on the Pirates of the Caribbean set? Like, it, it, it's <laughs> so similar in a way that it was like, I think this might actually be this part of this ride that you've, like, rented in order to use. Because it like, very similar to some of the scenes. And especially, like, they set up the shot of the people waiting in line to, like, go into the well at one point. They just, like, pan over yeah. it. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> so I appreciated that. <laughs> and then later, when they're in the Agamemnon years, that's just the Life of Brian set. Like, there are huge pieces of that that it's like, okay, well, you guys clearly own this because George Harrison paid for it. But I liked that it was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is like a direct line back into this. And and we talked before about how there's definite homages and, like, pieces of this that are very Python. One of them that I really liked was they started that scene with the goose. It's just a close-up of a goose for, like, no reason. And it was just like, this feels so Python. There's something about this weird goose being shown in front of this village that then later gets stomped on it, it just felt so python in a way that's like oh this is what it means to be an auteur you can just literally show a fucking goose for a second and everyone's like ah yes that's terry gilliam i can recognize that anywhere like i love that i love that it's so specific to him i love that the costume design is so specific to him too like mm-hmm. i love that all the bandits have specifically chosen different eras of costume and so like they kind of all fit in no matter where they pop out in the time portal like you can look Mm -hmm. at one person dressed appropriately surrounded by people who aren't and you're like okay whatever these crazy weirdos are with this one normal person i just fully accept this and that's what it felt like a choice for why they were all dressed the way that they were which i really liked yeah the the scenery was definitely one of my favorite parts of the movie like just seeing all of the the backgrounds and and the the set pieces and uh the the boat uh that the ogre is on mm-hmm. i i love that boat yes. like the the it it's it it's almost like another character uh the the sets and the backgrounds uh you know cuz cuz they're just as much a part of the performance as the the actors Yes, and I love, too, that the boat then, like, later becomes the hat for this giant, and it's, like, unclear mm-hmm. whether the giant was wearing it the entire time and had been underwater, or if he just, like, simply walked up and caught the boat, and I like both of them. I like the idea that this ogre is, mm-hmm. like, matched up with this giant in this weird way, and also I like the idea that this giant right. accidentally came for this boat at this, like, perfect time. Again, it's very Gilliam, like... Even the shots of the giant walking are so Gilliam. I just fucking loved it. Gilliam just makes this... He's like, you know what I fucking love? Giants. You know what I love even more? A random giant that I'm not going to explain for any reason. Like, (laughs) I fucking love that. I think it's great. It's... And the giant is so, again, is so well costumed and it seems like such an appropriate part of the set that he's placed inside of too. It never feels... It doesn't feel inappropriate. It doesn't feel like you need to question mm-hmm. why there's a giant here. Like, oh, of course giants just like exist inside of this world that he's created. And I think that's great. He makes a lot of really interesting choices that I just really enjoyed. And to your point mm-hmm. too earlier, you said at the beginning that you didn't 
love the movie the first time you watched it. I kind of felt that way through the first half that while I appreciated what Gilliam was doing, I didn't really love it. But then by mm-hmm. the time I got to like the last half of the movie, like specifically the last hour of the movie, I really started to enjoy it. And I think part of that is because I fucking loved Michael Palin and Shelley Duvall's performances. They were <laughs> so good and they're so good to, I love Michael Palin. He's my favorite Monty Python member, which I don't think a lot of people would pick Michael Palin. But yeah, I, it's, a... it's an unusual choice, but like I love him. I think that he's so funny. I think that he works as like a weird, almost straight man, but not really the straight man who then like devolves into this like super wackadoo character a lot of the time. Like <laughs> this is such a strange and p- specific favorite. But my favorite skit of Michael Palin in uh, Monty Python, he plays a pharmacist at one point, and for some reason just says requisite very weird. He goes requisite. And does it like 30 times in this scene. And I, it just stuck with me so much that I was like, that's it. This is my favorite character. I fucking love this guy. And so seeing him like transition into movies after Python was so exciting to me. And so then to see him specifically in this, it was like, oh, yes. If I was going to see any of the Python boys, I'm so excited to see him. And then, of course, to see John Cleese and later mm-hmm. as uh, Robin Hood was like, oh, this is so good. I love seeing these guys work together. So good. Um- First, I think what uh, Gilliam, you know, fundamentally understands is that ogres have layers. You know, like. <laughs> he knew before Shrek even came out, he was like, you know what, it's ogres true. have layers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got it, dude. And then the second thing, uh, I I learned that Shelley Duvall uh, took this role like this was her first role after The Shining. Really? So like, I yeah. Did not so know after that. she like. Her her big performance there, she she goes and fools around with these guys, what which a, is great. What I love a hilarious it. pivot! Like, yeah, it makes me sad that Shelley Duvall is obviously suffering and has suffered a long time from mental health problems, and like, especially yeah. seeing that she's so talented. Like, she really got screwed by Hollywood and was really taken advantage yeah. of in a way that you can just tell. Like, especially knowing that the back to back of The Shining and fucking Time Bandits, like, this is a woman who had like endless potential and could have been like a real fucking long lasting star and was really just beaten down inside of the Hollywood system. Yeah. Like, I was really glad I got to see this and get to like look back at how great Shelley Duvall is. Like, Shelley Duvall fan club forever. <laughs> She's so talented. <laughs> I will die on that horse. Hell horse Hill. Yes. Surprise horse. <laughs> <laughs> Take a drink. <laughs> um, let's see another fun thing that I uh I guess a cameo, right? Uh Jim Broadbent. Yes. Like that Oh, his character was that, great. Right. His game show Your Money or Your Life just made me think of uh idiocracy mm, like mm-hmm. it, it, it's like it started at your money or your life and then it evolved into ow my balls you know <laughs> so. uh, mm-hmm. oh yes uh, i yes i wasn't expecting jim broadbent to be in this and then when he showed up on the just television part i was like oh i just accept that this is a like weird gilliam type 
in TV character we won't see again. And so then I loved the return of him at the end. It felt like such uh-huh. an appropriate way to draw in the bandits and also make Kevin question, like, wait, what the fuck is going on? Where are we? Who is this person? I know I'm not seeing what I think that I'm seeing. Also, I'd like to point out that Kevin was the only successful time bandit because he was the only person who managed to hold on to literally anything that they stole. I know! So, which was very bizarre. Uh, yeah, they're not very good bandits. They're terrible bandits. They like accidentally give all their shit away to Robin Hood, and then they're like, oh, I'm floating through the sea. Oh, now I just have a white tux on. Fuck, I've really screwed this up. And Kevin's like, <laughs> look at all this shit that I have. I have this purse. I stuck a bunch of stuff inside of it. Like, Kevin is way... Also, who runs out of their bed in the middle of the night and is like, you know what I'm bringing with me? My purse. <laughs> Throwing that shit on. <laughs> We're getting down this hallway. I've got a camera. I'm ready to go. Like, Kevin, you are yeah. so prepared. He had a go bag. <laughs> right he was like i'm ready at any moment to travel through history let's fucking go like i respect it kevin good for you i I like how agamemnon didn't like question the pictures that kevin had yes like like agamemnon's supposed to be a smart dude right he was just going with the flow he was like like, oh "Oh, this kid fell out of the sky he brought like this intricate painting on like a small tiny piece of something don't recognize what it is because i don't know what plastic (laughs) is agamemnon also i thought shani connery was fucking great in this he was very well cast i felt like he felt appropriate it was surprising because he's such a big star to like see him remove the Mm -hmm. helmet and be like oh my god it's fucking young hot sean connery remember when that was a thing that existed like (laughs) i i was very excited to see him and i was excited that it felt like he treated the project with respect and didn't like it wasn't like a joke or like i can just throw this performance away like he actually seemed to care about what he was doing and i and it read and i appreciated that which was awesome uh, in my research, I found out that in, they wrote in the script that Agamemnon was supposed to be someone like Sean Connery of his caliber, but cheaper. But then when Sean Connery <laughs> oh found God. out, he was like, no, I want to do this. I'll, I'll definitely do this. Oh, my God. I so love he, that. Yeah. He only had like a set amount of time to film, though. So he was supposed to be in that like big battle. With all the oh. archers and the cowboys and stuff, and he was supposed to be, get crushed by the column, <laughs> not fidget. On one hand, I kind of like it. I feel like it would have yeah. been a cool ending to have Agamemnon be crushed and like maybe even remain dead. But yeah. I understand why they made the choice to fidget because it like brings in the community and the like family of them together at the end. Like, yep. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I'm so happy so after... to know that, <laughs> that he really wanted to do it. Like, I love that. It is worth mentioning that this is Sean Connery at his most Sean Connery. He had been out of doing James Bond for 10 years at this point, what was just about to go back. And he was about to also do Highlander right after that. Wow. So he's like a huge star. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Wow. Peak of his popularity. Wow. That's a get. I just assumed that it was after he had done Bond. I mean, I knew what year it was, but I did not uh, do enough research to know that that came afterwards. (laughs) Like, that's... Wow. That would have been shocking in the theaters for him to take his helmet off and be like, holy fucking shit, it's Bond on my screen as Agamemnon. And it also makes sense, too, because Agamemnon is supposed to be this, like larger than life like they said it's like a sean connery but cheaper type and so i like that it's in the middle of like you said the peak of his fame where 
it that is the impact he takes his helmet off and you know yep. immediately what type of man this is supposed to be you have an immediate connection with this is the level of uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This is the level of reverence I should be giving this character because I recognize right away that this is Sean fucking Connery. Like, that's uh, it's yep. so great. Also speaks to how big Monty Python fucking was that people hear the those names and are like, yes, put me in this. This is amazing. I want to do this. Another interesting fact about the, uh, the gang of dwarves. Apparently, they were meant to represent each member of the Monty Python troupe. Really? Yeah. I would not have guessed that, but I really like that. So apparently the whole story is in the book Monty Python, The Case Against Irreverence, Scrutility, Profanity, Vilification, and Licentious Abuse. Um, so Fidget was said to represent Palin. Uh, Randall was John Cleese. Uh, the acerbic one... Uh, was Eric Idle. Uh, Og, the one who gets turned into a pig, is Graham Chapman. Uh, the noisy rebel Wally was Terry Jones. And the nasty, filth-loving uh, Vermin was Gilliam. That makes sense. <laughs> Although, Graham as the pig is weird. <laughs> I like don't really understand that one, but okay, I accept it. Uh, yeah, he was the quiet one, apparently. Oh, so. I guess that makes sense. I always think of Graham as the, like, straight man. I know a lot of people think of John Cleese as, like, the official straight man, but I think that's incorrect, because he's weird and irreverent. Like, he's Silly Walks guy. That's yeah. not straight man. Right. Graham plays fucking Brian in Life of Brian. Like, he is that character, so it seems weird to me that they'd be like, oh, he's just the one that's off on the side who gets turned into a pig. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Poor Graham. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's dead, so what worse could happen to him? <laughs> the one thing that I remember about the first time I saw this movie was that the ending was so weird and abrupt. It is very abrupt. Yeah. Which is very Gilliam. It's very, it's very Python sure. to just have the ending, like, fucking appear out of nowhere. So this felt even, like, conclusive to me. I was just like, oh, yeah, of course. This, of course this ending came out of nowhere, but at least it ended. <laughs> and they weren't just all arrested and taken away or whatever. Yeah, which I love at the end of Holy Grail, but would and would have expected in this situation, like the cops come in and are like, "All right, tiny child, time to leave." Also, I yeah. love that God leaves the child alone at the end. He's just like, "You take care of this," and it's like, "Wait, but what?" <laughs> I love that. I thought that, that was a a perfect ending to, and how it I think speaks to the way that Gilliam thinks of a supreme being character that like they don't actually yeah. think very far about how humans should be treated like ah, whatever tiny right. child leave you in time here you don't need your parents fuck them yeah and that's that's the part that gets me the parents blow up at the end yes they what? just fucking died like i got to the end and they just like zoomed out and i was like whoa what the fuck <laughs> i'm like that's where we're ending yeah, Kevin's just an orphan now. Like, I also thought, it, like, I like that Sean Connery comes back as the firefighter, but I thought the firefighter was going to take him with him. I was like, oh, yeah, of course, this will be, like, the natural ending that he gets, like, weirdly adopted yeah. by this firefighter. Nope, just drove away and waved goodbye. Goodbye, orphan with your burned down house and no parents. Like, it was, it was very abrupt. So I guess in that sense, it does just kind of fucking end. You get no follow-up to what happens to Kevin. He just has this weird journey through time and then is like deuces yeah. good luck i guess yeah after two hours like i want to see kevin be okay and then at the end it's just like oh kevin's kevin's fucked. totally fucked <laughs> although 
Although, I guess you could make the argument that, like, his parents suck, and he doesn't really want to be with his parents anyway, and so he is getting sure. this gift of, like, you can go find a different family. Hopefully they're good. <laughs> but yeah, I like to, I guess I like to, that, like, Kevin becomes, like, a full-rounded person, even though he's a child, and then at the end is, like, given this freedom of, like, you don't have to exist with these parents who, like, kind of essentially felt like they were working for the devil at some point. <laughs> so it's, uh, <laughs> it's very strange. It was a very weird choice, and again, a very Monty Python choice to just blow the parents up at the end. Like, yeah, fuck these guys. Yeah, cool. Fuck these parents. Blow yep, them up. We're done with these assholes. <laughs> fuck them all. Uh, I really liked the big battle at the end. I thought it was really interesting. I like that they, like, bring in all these different eras of like fighters and <laughs> i made a list the cowboys are defeated by centripetal force the greeks are are killed by making them into <laughs> pin cushions with arrows the knights die by noxious ass and noxious ass noxious gas and the tank and plane <laughs> die from ricocheting and telepathy <laughs> so i like that you get these like different types of attacks and different like fighters from the past and they all die in very specific ways too that like almost seems like they're pulled specifically i mean they are that's the way this is written that they're pulled specifically to feel different to each of the interpretations of time so i really liked it i like that they threw it together i do now wish that agamemnon had been there but understand why he was not yeah sean connery's off being sean connery right exactly he was like i'm very busy goodbye (laughs) how did you feel about the mechanics of time travel uh, with the map. I kind of liked it. I liked that it was weird. I liked that it was purposeful. It feels like the Supreme... And I mean, he did. He, the Supreme Being was like, I built this. I wanted you to test it. That's why I gave you this stupid map. Like, I wanted to see if this thing that I built actually worked in the way that I wanted. And I like that it did, more or less. That they, like... They're like, all we have to do is look for this time portal. They didn't really explain how you figured out what time it was going to happen. But at that point, I was just like, I don't care. <laughs> do whatever you want. You created this, like, weird show yeah. for Agamemnon and you you knew like at this moment that this time portal was going to open up like what would have happened if it had just opened like with these people who had fallen through it i don't know that was kind of unclear but again i just like accepted that they they it seemed like they had some kind of control over the time portal when it opened but it was never really explained totally how that worked but again i was fine with that it's like they don't know what they're doing either that's what it felt like they didn't totally understand the mechanics of how they could make it work or how to like choose where they were going and so i as an audience member was just like okay i accept that i don't really get it either because these bumbling idiots don't really understand it so it was a i kind of liked that you didn't get more information about it it seemed explainable enough that it was acceptable but then like yeah there were still a lot of like open-ended questions about exactly how it worked what about you how did you feel about it yeah okay so i did largely accept it you know (laughs) i I did like all the things that you said about it and like there was just one point where uh they're they're getting chased down and then two portals open up (laughs) and there randall's just like run kevin and then when he runs into one portal he's like no not that (laughs) one and then i'm like randall you could have helped him by like telling him which one to go into go in the right one (laughs) yeah like, don't just say run, say run to the left. Yes. Like, yes, I agree. I mean, that's, it's a joke. Like, it's a setup for a, like a <laughs> silly gag. And like, I appreciated that. Yeah. But yeah, I agree that it was, it's weird that that's the only time we see two. And it's just like not explained why there are two and why they would go to different right. places. Again, it feels sort of like they have some control over it or someone has control right. over it. I would assume it's probably the Supreme Being now that I say that out loud. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. How did you feel about the Supreme Being? What were you, what was your reaction to him? Uh, I liked that he was a dick, but not 100% a mm-hmm. dick. Yes. You know? Yes. Like, 
he he was very corporate it seemed mm-hmm. like you know like oh we're just gonna put you back in this department and mm-hmm. uh yes you know cut cut you cut your pay <laughs> effective backdated through the beginning of time like oh okay yeah cool i guess <laughs> i just went on this like really dangerous journey that you like tricked me into doing but fine whatever god whatever you say yeah i mean out of all the portrayals of god in the realm of cinema i wouldn't say that this one is one of my favorites but he's definitely functional you know he 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 serves his purpose uh he's definitely not uh alanis morissette in dogma mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a good you know, one like that is a good interpretation that's one of my favorites i think this one might be up there in my favorite interpretations of god and i like that they just call yeah. him supreme being i don't i like that he's not mm-hmm. specifically labeled as god even though that's like really clear that's what the concept is i like that oh, sure. he like I let, he's a line at one point dead no excuse for laying off work which is like oh god <laughs> even god feels yeah. that way like oh jesus christ i wrote down to god is a psycho i'm on board because <laughs> that's what it felt like it, it the like chaos and like not really malevolence but like indifference towards human life is so clear here and that's like obviously such a a choice that was made by gilliam like gilliam is yep. very much engaged in the idea of like god is not who you think that he is and like we don't understand religion in the way that we believe that we do and so i like that they make this choice to make god this like kind of here kind of there not really good not really bad character he does feel very like chaotic neutral in many ways and i like that i like that interpretation a lot and and randall um builds on that too when he's like oh we only had seven days to build the universe so it's like coming apart at the seams and i I like that uh that that interpretation of of creation you know like all these guys are here making trees and bushes while god is creating the whole universe in a week and of course there's going to be things that are wrong with right, it right exactly so here's the, a map of things that are all mm-hmm. wrong i like that they like specifically pointed that out like you were saying that like oh this of course we did this in seven days it's a fucking rush job like yeah cool <laughs> i like that example of how why humanity is so fucked up and why there's all these like weird animals like we just threw them together we didn't know what to do we just a bright yellow tree whatever fuck it i don't care <laughs> like i love that i think it's cool <laughs> i also love the way that they described their job of making shrubbery and they're like oh we made this mm-hmm. beautiful tree it was huge and it smelled disgusting and like that that's the idea behind the architecture that it's not about being pleasing to humans in any way they just exist because the people who created them think they're funny like i love that i think it's cool i feel like that's a perfect description of the art that i create you know or like art that i know that a lot of people that i know create you know it's like oh i didn't mean for this to be that deep i just thought it was funny <laughs> welcome to the last five years of not your demographic <laughs> Huh. Ooh. evil is pure evil then who is pure good uh i think the answer is kevin i was just gonna say i think it's kevin too i feel like kevin's the only one who's kind of like clean from the like needs and wants of capitalism which is like really obvious with people like stealing yep. and like i need to be rich and i want to like exist in this like capitalism dream being dead's not an excuse yeah. for laying off work etc cetera, etc cetera. like i it does feel like kevin is the only one who doesn't have any kind of stain on him and yet it doesn't protect him like being good doesn't actually seem to matter it's more about like the shades of you exist and if you're not evil you kind of get to keep doing what you want and aren't like stuck in a layer or whatever but outside of that like good doesn't really actually seem to make a big difference you just get to keep going Mm -hmm. 
And I kind of like that. And like we said, like Kevin's pure and Kevin's the only one who seems to be really good. And then in the end, he loses both of his parents and his house burns down. So like, it's like, yeah, Kevin, you're real good, man. Uh, now you don't have parents or a house. Right, and like so. when God abandons him in this like battlefield, he leaves him there and says, "Continue the fight." And like, okay, so being good means that you get left behind in a cave. Like, I I kind of like that being good isn't treated as like you get rewarded for being good. It's just like you're just supposed yeah. to be that way, and that everyone just kind of degrades into evil a little bit at a time, and then there is like pure evil. I I think it's interesting, like. Even God isn't good. Even God is like this right. in-between gray character, and I, I like that. I think that it's smart to make only the chill, only the child the one who is like the purest of everyone in the movie. Yeah, and I mean the closest next one over would probably have been Agamemnon because he wasn't concerned with money or power. He he wanted to make sure that Kevin was taken care of. And then when the bandits came back and just took him away, like Kevin was robbed of that too. Mm-hmm. And like he wanted to stay there with Agamemnon, but nothing works out for you, kids. Right, Sorry. Exactly. Like your reward for being a good and pure soul is that you get literally everything taken away from you. Like, whoa, okay. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. Not even a surprise horse. Right. The last thing that I have written down in my notes, I don't know why, but it says standby for mind control. <laughs> well, there was a lot of telepathy at the end of this, like a surprising amount of telepathy. Uh, oh, I had one last note, too. I really liked the uh, cow skull puppets that were like the, I don't know what else to call them. They kind of felt like dementors almost, where they were clearly like ghouls and like henchmen of the underworld. Oh, yeah. I really liked the way that those were executed. I liked that they were clearly puppets and they didn't move like humans because they wouldn't. Like they're yes. they're obviously this like different life force. So I really liked that and thought that was a, a thing worth noting that was really well done. Yeah, this movie was real weird. But really well done. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I agree. It's like I said before, I didn't like love the beginning of it, but I loved the end of it. I loved the way that it wound up progressing. I guess at the end of it, Aaron, would you say the Time Bandits was worth your time? Yes, I would, actually. I think that it was, again, even though the first half wasn't what I was expecting, I thought that, I mean, if you like Monty Python even a little bit, like this is a good movie to watch because there's so much that's an homage to the old Python. So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely worth at least one watch for sure. What yep. do you think? Was it worth your time? Uh, I do. You know, like uh, as I mentioned when I first watched it, I thought it was a little weird. I probably I might have even fallen asleep in class while trying to watch it, but. This time I was I was into it. I was you know I picked up on a lot of other things. Um, Terry Gilliam is, uh, yeah, he's great. He's a genius. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> I think he is actually a genius. It's good. I recommend it. It's a cult film for a reason. Exactly. Yep. A very good yep. reason. I totally agree. All right. Well, that's Time uh, Bandits. All right. Again, if you'd yeah. like to watch it, it's available all over the place. I watched it on Prime. You can find it on HBO Max. You can buy the mm-hmm. DVD. It's available lots of places. So if you've listened to yep. this and it's inspired you to watch, please do. And let us know how you felt about it. Yes. And if you want to join the conversation, uh, you can use the hashtag Time2Party. That's the number two. Uh, and you can direct your comments at us on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at BeastBarrier20. And I'm at NYDUrgency on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Indecisionist and on Instagram at TheIndecisionist. 
This has been an Indecisionist production. Special thanks to April Moralba for our podcast art and to Marlon Longhead of Marlon and the Shakes for our amazing theme song. Yeah, so for now, we're out of time. Party on, dude. Yes, to each other, you know, as always. <laughs> we'll see you next time, everybody. 